Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, listeners. We're back with part two, or maybe volume two, if we want to throw, like, Guardians of the Galaxy reference in there, of our end-of-the-year roundup for Citizen Dame. As always, I am Kristen Lopez here with the fantastic Karen Peterson. Hello. And Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hi. Kimberly Pierce has a job, so she couldn't be here (laughs) to record, but we have her list that she has provided with us, so she is here in spirit. Hopefully you listened to the first episode already where we talked about the worst movies of the year, best supporting actress, you probably already hate us, or love us, I don't know. But we have some more uh, categories to look through, including supporting actor, best director, and of course, our best of the year. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into things with best director. Let's get best director out of the way. I I only had this as a top three because I know that there were some great directors this year. I could have easily done top five, which is female directors, but I wanted the best of the best. So let's start with Lauren. Who were your best directors this year? My best directors this year, number three is Jordan Peele. Get Out is quite an accomplishment. I don't care whether you want to classify it as a comedy or a horror film or a horror comedy. It's a very unique film and it's it's just very well constructed. It's solid. Uh, it's solidly built. It's a solid script. It's great acting all around. It's very tight and intense. And for someone that, you know, I mean, at least until this point, I've always only thought of Jordan Peele as kind of a a funny comedian. He really did go above and beyond. So yeah, definitely number three for me. Number two is Guillermo del Toro for Shape of Water, because that's the greatest film. And, you know, I think there's maybe one Guillermo del Toro film in his entire oeuvre that I don't particularly like. He's always good. He's always interesting. He always gives an interesting... um, twist on recognizable tropes on recognizable tales you know this and this one is just it's a beautifully made film again one of those films that there's not a lot of of extra it's not a shaggy film at all there's not a lot of extra meat on it there's it's very tight and directed and again great performances he gets wonderful performances out of an excellent cast and and it's satisfying it just the everything the entire arc of the film is so well done it's beautifully shot it's beautifully constructed. The script is amazing. Uh, everything, everything about this movie is great. My number one is Greta Gerwig, especially for a, a semi-first-time director. I know we, there's some argument about that, but let's you know this is her first solo feature. She, it, it's Lady Bird is again one of those films that it's it's easy almost to overlook how well put together the film is, because there's no like Shape of the Water, there is no extra material on it. There is no sense that she's feeling things out or trying to figure out what her voice is. She knows what her voice is. She knows exactly what her camera wants to capture and how it wants to capture it. It doesn't. It feels like a very mature film from someone who has never directed a solo feature before. And I, I can't. I can't give her enough praise. I think that she is not getting enough love uh, at award season right now, and she, she desperately needs to. She really is a brilliant director. 
and I can't I can't wait to see what she does next, honestly. So Kimberly's top three directors this year. At number three, she has James Gunn for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. At really number two, that. she has <laughs> she did. Yeah. For number uh, number two, she has Patty Jenkins for Wonder Woman. And number one, she has Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. So my my best directors, I have to include some favorites here. Um, this was hard. I will say honorable mention, if I had a four, um, I would have put James Mangold for Logan because I love when James Mangold does his takes on the Western. And this, this one was a really great blending of Western tropes in the comic book landscape. But my number three is Sofia Coppola for The Beguiled. I might be biased because I've met Sofia Coppola, I've had lunch with her, and she is a, a doll. I think she's so great. But I think what I love about The Beguiled especially is it really shows where she's come from and where she's going as a director. There's a lot of similarities that you can make between The Beguiled and her debut with The Virgin Suicides. Only she's coming at it now from being an adult uh you know she was I think she was just you know in her early 20s when she made Virgin Suicides and now she's a wife and a mother and there's a different perspective there but it's still very beautifully shot capable film and I love it so much my number two is Jordan Peele for Get Out as as Lauren said this person that most of us had only seen as a, a comedian is really able to get at the heart of social satire and what was going on kind of predicting how how things would turn out this year and my number one is Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird it's a confident smooth technically debut she's co-directed before and also it really does a fantastic job of capturing time and place um and I I might be biased because it captures my place um it's set in Sacramento and it's different to watch a movie I hadn't realized it before it's different to watch a movie that is set in your hometown where you have to get very specific but also very broad with your references versus a movie, one of the umpteenth movies set in New York or LA. And I'm just so excited to see what Greta Gerwig does with her next film because I expect it to be outstanding. Karen? All right, well, this is this is really hard for me because I think there are some, a lot of really well-directed films this year. And narrowing it down to three was hard I'm going to give an honorable mention to well one of my honorable mentions was going to be Jordan Peele but I think you guys have well covered him I'm giving an honorable mention to Scott Cooper what he did with Hostiles was like I mean this was like a whole different level of filmmaking from him and it was great to see how much he's grown as a director from his last film and the one before that and what he did with with Hostiles is just great. And another honorable mention, he's getting a lot of attention because of what he managed to pull off, but it's Ridley Scott. He he actually managed to make all the money in the world work, and he did a great job with it. I was really surprised at, at how much I enjoyed that film. My number three is Sean Baker for The Florida Project. Still have not gotten to see that. I really... I would really be curious to see what you think of it. So I hope you get to see it soon. Uh, the The film itself, the performances I don't think are necessarily that special. I know Willem Dafoe's getting a lot of attention for supporting actor for it. And I don't think it's exactly deserved. But it's not because it's bad and it's not because he's bad. It's just that his particular character doesn't have a ton to do. But the film itself 
is really well done and it's it's um it's interesting to watch this world that isn't normally depicted on film and especially not in the way that it is where you've got these people that they're poor and they live in motels and that whole world and you know these poor kids that their parents are very occupied with other things and so they're just basically just running around it they're not being parented partly because they have parents that don't know what they're doing you know their their parents are still kids themselves and and just exploring that world is so fascinating and i think he did a really good job with it it's a it's a good movie my number two is guillermo del toro for the shape of water i love this movie so much like it just man i all year i've been hearing about it i've been hearing such great things like once it started once it actually came out and i thought okay yeah, i'll probably like it i didn't expect to love it as much as i did and i i really did it's a great movie and he did such a beautiful job and i've had the privilege of interviewing some of the filmmakers that worked on the film with him the cinematographer the production designer and just listening to all of them talk about their experiences working with del toro on the film and i'm just like man this guy just sounds like a dream to work with he sounds awesome and it's it's really interesting one person told me that he is very involved but not intrusive like he likes to see what everyone's doing but he's not breathing down their neck like making sure that it's exactly the way that he needs it to be like he he trusts the people that he's working with so and then my number one I talked a little bit more about Guillermo del Toro because I don't have much to say that hasn't already been said about Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. So she's great. The movie's yeah. great. And I also cannot wait to see what she comes up with next. Woo! Okay, so the next next one we have is it's a very me category because I had to I had to do it because I am a big fan of dance or uh, how how modern music is utilized <laughs> in film, preferably both concurrently. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, dance, preferably if you utilize modern music. And I had to go with a category that I've labeled very blandly best use of modern music or dance. So. Let's start with Kimberly's picks for this category. She says her number three is... Her number three just says Army Hammer enough said. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing she means call me by your name. Because I can't think of anything else. Um, Unless maybe she means man from uncle. I don't know. She might. Oh, I figured she was specifically calling out the dance scene. Yeah, I, 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 I figure, but you know... There's never a bad time to watch the man dance. So number two, she just says the greatest showman, and there that I will that, that would probably be my four because I am a huge fan of musicals with choreography. La La Land choreography was questionable. Um, and her number one is the Mr. Blue Sky opening credits from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Oh yeah, that's a good choice. Karen, what are your three? So I have Baby Driver. Like, I just really like the the soundtrack on that film. So I'm just kind of using that as a whole. Although if I'm going to specifically call out one scene, it's that very long, continuous shot when he goes to get coffee right in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so well done. I like that. The opening, um, the opening uh, is really good, too. With yeah. With how sound punctuates movement and all of that. 
Yes, very well done. It's a great use of music throughout the film. So, and um, I also my number two. I said the Army Hammer dancing scene in Call Me by Your Name. Yeah. I mean, is there a more uh, popular gift from this entire year? Nope. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> and then, well, actually, I I had one that I I liked a little bit more, although I don't think it's as ubiquitous and that is the rhythm of the night scene in the disaster artist oh yes (laughs) i did tell you that there is a dance scene in this in that movie that rivaled call me by your name and it's i love it james franco having like an attack on the dance floor yes it's brilliant and he's like so desperate to like pull Mark, or I mean, sorry, Greg, away from that girl that he's flirting with, which ugh, it's whatever, it's Alice Marie, but um, I like her, I just didn't like her character in the movie, but um, but yeah, like, I just love everything about that scene, so it's great. So, those are mine. Uh, Lauren, what about you? Alright, well, uh, I'm gonna actually go with Shape of Water. <laughs> Again. That was, that almost made my list. The, the dance sequence, and you know, it's one of those that when they when they go into it i was nervous because i was like is this about to get way too odd is it you know or or what but but it winds up being really beautiful and this wonderful expression of the character's desire to really you know tell this tell this this creature that she has fallen in love with how she feels about him and she can't um she she wants to be able to speak. She wants to be able to express herself differently than she can, and and she can't quite quite get there. And she thinks that that he's never going to understand really how she feels about him. And and it's such a beautiful scene, and and the entire film is kind of leading up to it with uh, her love of um, old musicals and sitting around and watching them with Giles, etc. And it's just a beautiful sequence, and it, it plays really well. And it, it there's a there's always that possibility that it might not have that it would have just been too odd and out of out the window in some ways, too surreal, something like that. But it actually works really well. Um, I, I do I do like that we get a Fred and Ginger esque scene with a, a Gill Man. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it, but it's beautiful too. That that's what's yes. surprising about it. I think. Number two is the that the walking sequence in Baby Driver, the uh, throughout that entire film, as you said, the the use of music is very well done. I have other problems with the film, but I, the soundtrack is remarkable. And my number one is actually just as a whole, I guess almost is I Tanya. Yes. Um, I really like all of her her skating routines and the use of music. I loved the use of Barracuda. Mm. I. But and there, there are places in Itania where I feel like the needle drops are a little too on the nose. Mm-hmm. But particularly as the film goes on, they become more and more integrated. And I don't know whether that's a deliberate decision on the part of the director or if this is just like in order to emphasize her maybe becoming more connected to her own performances and, and her skating and her almost rebellion against what the skating community is telling her that she should be. Uh, but the use of music throughout that entire film and the way that it's integrated with the characters and particularly with her character is really fascinating and very well done for the most part like i say at the beginning of the film i think it's a little it's a little wobbly but it gets better as it goes on missed opportunity considering that in real life uh, she did the triple axel to the batman theme if you watch oh, you the go. original <laughs> yeah if you watch the original performance uh yeah it was the batman theme uh, soundtrack <laughs> right Oh, did you say that was that your number one, Lauren? That was my number one, yeah. 
so my number, uh, my best use of modern music or dance, I did, my number three is actually when they use uh, Nina Simone's Feeling Good in Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Ew. It's a it's a sex scene, and it is, like, again, Professor Marston's probably one of the sexiest movies that's not Call Me By Your Name, um, I, I thought this year. Um, if you thought Fifty Shades of Grey was just, like, a horribly reductive like white bread look at like kinkiness like go watch professor marston there is some saucy scenes in there but this is a very tastefully shot sex scene with these three people um all to nina simone which i mean that's like prime sex music right there <laughs> so it just it gets you in the spirit my number two is is yeah the army hammer dance scene and call me by your name because i of love it, it is. because of course <laughs> it, i i think most people would have thought it was my number one it's not he is such a doof and i love it he's so adorable and i know he hated filming that okay i get it but i love how timothy chalamet's character loves it because he just he sees the he sees oliver in his own little world like he knows he probably looks stupid but it, it's enticing. It gets people out there. Like, it gets Elio out there. And it's complimented at the end of the movie when it happens again, only it's just a totally different tone um, because it comes at the end of their relationship. So I, there will never not be a time where Army Hammer in, like, shorts and tennis shoes, like, snapping his fingers is not going to be the most adorable thing I've ever seen in my life. And my number one is the use of Dave Matthews Band in Lady Bird. Yes. Speaking, I love I love songs that get brought back into the narrative for reasons. And this, the first time you hear Crash Into Me, it's Lady Bird and uh, Beanie Feldstein's character crying over the discovery that Lady Bird's boyfriend is gay. And it's just this like moment with her friend where they're both really upset and they just feel like this song is gonna have all the answers for them. Um, and then it comes back in at the end of the movie when she's going to prom with her, her uh, snooty friends and the song comes on the radio and Timothy Chalamet's character says, I fucking hate that song. And you're just, your heart just like rips in two because you're like, this is not the person she's supposed to be with. And it, it inspires her to go back to the one person she loves, which is her best friend. And I just, I love it so much. I love that the, it's that song because it's it, that situates that time in that place where you really thought like Dave Matthews was speaking to you like you life and death could be solved by that so that's my number one so let's move on to let's let's knock one of the fives out of the way we've already brought up some stuff so let's let's talk about supporting actor Lauren what what were your five supporting actor performances I just I was just looking at my list and I realized that three of them are from the same film there's nothing wrong with that. I got, I got, <laughs> yeah, I got okay. overlap. <laughs> All right, my number, my number five. Again, supporting actors, I, I feel like the male performances this year have not been widespread. There have been some yeah. really good performances, but they, they're usually in the same film. So my number five is Michael Shannon in The Shape of Water. He is one of the Oof. best villains. So terrifying and so monstrous and so confident in his rightness. And I just, you know, it's it's the perfect kind of white male misogynist that, and, and racist and all kinds of things. I mean, he it, he plays it perfectly and he does that character so well and makes the character very believable. My number four is Dave Franco as Greg Cicero in The Disaster Artist. Uh, again, yet another actor that I didn't realize could act, and he can. Go Dave Franco. 
he has that sort of wide-eyed innocence combined with, you know, try. he really does love his friend, and he really wants to, to do right by him, but is also... <laughs> also wants to live his own life and and I like that relationship between the two of them and Franco really plays it well. It could have been a very boring part uh, in comparison with kind of the craziness of Tommy Wiseau and, and it actually wound up being a, a very moving one. My number three is Michael Stuhlberg in Call Me By Your Name. I have talked about how great he is and his final speech to Elio is beautiful. It's probably the best father speech I have heard in a very long time and and, and he gives, again, a character that doesn't have a great deal of screen time, but he gives it a great deal of nuance and intelligence and, and understanding. He doesn't try to talk his son out of this, this love affair or the pain that he's feeling. He really says, like, no, you, this, this is the pain that you're going to have to experience, and, and it's ultimately a good thing, even though you've been hurt. My number two is also Michael Stuhlberg in The Shape of Water. <laughs> hes That's a really underrated performance. He's so it's, good. It's a it great is. performance. And one of those that particularly at the beginning of the film, you're not quite certain how you're going to feel about him. You don't, you know, revelations happen about the character. And as, as the film goes on, you realize that he, he, again, a very nuanced character with not a great deal of screen time that, that still manages to make you feel very strongly for him and and it's kind of inevitable the direction that that character goes but he you know he does the right thing and that's it's very moving when he does and and he's he's oddly heroic and idealistic and it's wonderful to see that in a, in a film and Stolberg is just a great actor uh, he's been one of the great character actors for a long time and I, I want to continue to see him doing excellent character parts he's really nice too I believe yes, that. Yes, that he is. I believe mm-hmm. that. He seems like a nice person. My number one is Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water. One, I've, again, always really liked Richard Jenkins. He's been in so many good films, and he always gives great performances. This one, he's he's odd. You're not quite certain what his deal is. You're not quite certain why, you know, what his what he's experiencing. He's very repressed, but he's also very passionate. He's... He's very talented, but he his talents are being wasted. He's terrified of everything, and for good reason on the one hand, and on the other hand, it also obviously stops him from living his life. And he gives such a wonderful performance. He, he winds up, actually, if you watch the film, he winds up being the narrator of the film. And, and he functions as sort of the, the voice and the interpreter of, of Sally Hawkins, but also overlays his own fears and anguishes and desires onto her and to her relationships and, and that's finally something that he has to let go of. It's a beautiful performance in a film that is full of beautiful performances. So I, I would love to see him. Him or Stuhlberg, I want to win the Oscar. So Kimberly's five, uh, her number five is Michael Shannon, Shape of Water. Michael Shannon didn't make my five, but if we did top five cringiest lines, He's got, like, at least two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there is a line, literally, that I, I do, like, mock awards at home, and he has a line in The Shape of Water that was like, oh, nope, that wins. Worst worst line ever performed. Like, it's just, it's... And he delivers it so well. Like... Oh, uh, it's exactly... It's so believable. <laughs> like, you're just like, oh, my God, run. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, that goes in the pantheon. Uh, I should share my list I, I, of, like, cringy lines over the years, because some of them are some of them are gems. Number four is Chris Pine for Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, number three, Lucas Hedges for Lady Bird. 
Number two, she says Army Hammer for Call Me By Your Name. And number one, Dave Franco for The Disaster Artist. So my my list has some overlap with, with what's already been said, so I won't belabor a lot of them. Uh, my number five is Michael Stuhlbarg from Call Me By Your Name. Rewatching it this time, I really noticed his performance. He, you know, it's a character, both of the parents in this movie, you're kind of wondering what they know at what point. And he's just got a really expressive face that you can tell certain things at certain points in the movie like he knows um he's very self-aware number four is richard jenkins for the shape of water i love richard jenkins and if he ever wins an academy award which he should i want them to remind people how funny he is in Step Brothers because I think oh my he's, gosh yes. he's so hilarious <laughs> but here he's just this guy who is so afraid of putting himself out there and so he finds his fantasies played out on film and you know there's a point in the movie where he goes and makes an overture to somebody and it's just the most heartbreaking thing when he is rejected because he's such a great guy my number three is chris pine for wonder woman the, the ultimate supporting actor you know yeah. he supports wonder woman um in her endeavors and yeah he has to kind of be put in his place about like ladies can do things for themselves get over your you know white male privilege and and i think only someone like chris pine could have done that my number two is colin farrell for the beguiled speaking of how supportive chris pine is um i think colin farrell is the apotheosis of what we see now with like feminist allies the character that he plays is very manipulative he changes and i think it's a testament to colin farrell he changes his performance based on each of the actresses that he's acting mm -hmm. alongside and his entire mentality is he's been nice to them, so they owe him. And I think that that is just, it's Colin Farrell, so you want to be seduced, but at the same time, you're like, you're kind of a dick. <laughs> and my number one is, is Army Hammer from Call Me By Your Name. Yes, it's kind of cheating, because I would also argue that he's a lead, but whatever. We're going Academy Rules here. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I passed out. I, I died from shock, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we've said everything we need to say about him, like, all year. Like, he's hot, he's adorable in this. The fact that he can read an audiobook about the same movie and it's just, like, the sexiest thing to ever exist in the history of, like, ever. Yeah, no, I, I'm confident in this number one. Karen? All right. Um, my list is a little different. I do have a bit of overlap, but not much, actually. My number five is Paul Walter Hauser from I, Tonya. Yes. I loved him. Every scene he was in, I was just like, oh my gosh, he's so great. He encaptured or encapsulated Sean Eckhart so well. Like, I remember watching those interviews and like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And he just <laughs> nailed it. He was great. He was so great. Um, my number four is Wes Studi from Hostiles. He... I do wish that his part was a little bit bigger because I'd love for him to actually be a lead. But at the same time, I don't think the f I, I I think the film might not quite have worked as well if it wasn't told the way it is. But he's so great, and he I think has just generally been an underrated actor throughout most of his career. I think he's really talented, and and he got a, a opportunity to to really showcase uh, his abilities in this film. Um, number three is Michael Shannon for The Shape of Water. Because, yeah, he is so terrifying. And I'm not going to get into spoilers for people who haven't gotten to see the movie yet, but the scene with his fingers. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, oh. 
Um, my number two is Stephen Delane from Darkest Hour. There are some really great moments between him and Gary Oldman that are just magnificent. So uh, he's great. Uh, my number two, or sorry, my number one is Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water. Yay. I love him so much. And that scene in the pie shop when he gets rejected is heartbreaking. Because mm-hmm. he just is so sweet. And he's rejected so cruelly. So, yep, that's mine. Okay, so seeing as how we've I, 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 there's really no segue. Um, let's talk. Uh, let's do another. Let's do another top three. Uh, sexiest romantic scene or romantic scene. This is mostly so we could just talk about sauciness because I think this year was pretty saucy. Mostly to get over the fact that it was a dumpster fire of horrors. So uh, Kimberly's top three. Her number three is just Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Number two, she says, is from Wonder Woman. It's the scene where Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor dance in the snow. Yes, that's actually on my list, too. <laughs> and her number one is just Call Me By Your Name, whole movie. <laughs> seems appropriate. It seems appropriate. Well, Karen, what are, what are your three? So one of mine is that scene in the snow in Wonder Woman. It's so beautiful. I love it. It's great. My number two is the haircut scene in Battle of the Sex or yeah Battle of the Sexes I I was just I was like so mesmerized watching that scene because I thought wow this really captures I mean there is something that's really sensual about getting your haircut and that whole scene is just oh so great and you can see the the kind of the torment crossing Billie Jean's face and like she's not really sure what she's fully enjoying this but she's not sure what to do with that and uh, it's such a well done scene and I love how it's all done without talking and yeah and then for number one I was trying to decide between two but I decided I'm just going to take a page from uh, Kimberly's book and just say The Shape of Water the whole movie (laughs) (laughs) I can can see that I can't complain yeah I love the, the whole development of their courtship and then culminating with that scene in the bathroom (laughs) like it's just oh so great so i will throw out mine my number three actually comes from professor marston it's the scene in the poster if you look at the poster where the the one character who's not rebecca hall whose name i i'm blanking Uh, um uh bella what olive i believe uh, yeah, um, where she comes out in the Wonder Woman-esque outfit. They've gone to this, um, it's, it's, I guess it's like an early swingers club. And she's dressed up and it's Rebecca Hall tying her up, essentially. And it's, again, it's like a hot moment. Everybody's fully clothed and you're just watching Rebecca Hall go in a circle and tying her uh, up with this like golden rope that they got the inspiration for the, the lasso from. And it's just, it's the sexiest scene because you're just hearing gasps and and knowing what's going on i think is what's is really inventive in that in that scene my number two is from it's a specific moment from call me by your name and it's not the peach scene you sick son of a bitches <laughs> i know y'all were thinking that uh, it's actually a more innocuous scene and it's something i noticed this last uh, when i rewatched it yesterday it comes after the moment when elio gets the note about how they're gonna meet at midnight 
<laughs> and he gets up to go do something, and Army Hammer grabs his arm and asks him what time it is. <laughs> and it is the A, it's funny because he's baiting him, and B, it's just it's this anticipation. You're like you're waiting for it, something to happen. Sweet Jesus, like the thirst between these two is like off the charts. So that that's my number two. And my number one is the sponge bath from the beguiled. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh I have never <laughs> never been as turned on by watching somebody get bathed than I was in this movie. Because <laughs> the way Sofia Coppola films it, you know, close-ups on on just, Col- like, innocuous body parts um, on Colin Farrell as, as uh, Nicole Kidman washes him. You know, a hip bone becomes, like, this, like, otherworldly thing. And it's it starts to, like, drive her crazy as she's doing it. Um... It's so great. So that that those are my three. Um, Lauren, what about you? Uh, well, I'm gonna echo your your uh, first one about the bondage scene in uh, Professor Marston. That that initial where they're learning how to tie knots, and, and Rebecca Hall eventually ties up. Um, what's her name? Bella Heathcott. Uh, yes, that's what I was looking for. And and just the whole interplay of that is also really sexy. The the him watching and her kind of finally taking that that initiative and the the whole relationship between the three characters as this is going on just really kind of crystallizes the way that their relationship is and and more more so than just the straightforward more straightforward sex scenes between them my number two is the first time that elio and oliver sleep together in call me by your name again one of those scenes that's not terribly explicit you know what's happening and what's going to happen but it's sort of the lead up to them actually having sex it's just i like the fact that it's kind of fumbling yeah it's kind of it's it's like i'm not totally they're not totally certain what to do with each other but they're really excited at the same time and it's it's like it's like a sex scene that you would expect like normal people who aren't being filmed on camera (laughs) would would do it's very real and and it it's it's almost it's it's funny and it's a little bit awkward but it's also playful between the two of them and i think again it's one of those scenes that really shows what their relationship is and what it looks like to the two of them and then my number one is is the scene where uh the sally hawkins character whose name i keep on forgetting Eliza. Eliza, Eliza, thank you. Mm-hmm. Goes in to, to see the creature in uh, the bathtub. Great yeah. sequence. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, not explicit, but you know what is going to happen. And and I also like the aftermath of that when she's on the bus and smiling really brightly. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, so, so it was a good time. <laughs> I also love when she's explaining it to Octavia Spencer. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm glad that they included that. That whole thing is again, it's that that combination of sexiness and humor that it's like, yeah, this is kind of it's kind of weird and sort of funny, but it's also really wonderful. Uh mm-hmm. and and I quite liked that. But yeah, the entirety of The Shape of Water is sexy. Yeah. So let's move on to uh some more scenes. Our favorite scenes of the year. Uh these can be non-sex scenes. Um, they can just be things you like. <laughs> Um, unless Kimberly's, you're Kristen. Unless you're <laughs> they're all Army Hammer moments. All five. So, Kimberly's five favorite scenes. Her number five is Churchill's final speech in Darkest Hour. So great. Uh, her number four is the end credits of Call Me By Your Name. 
Her number three is No Man's Land from Wonder Woman. Her number two is the Mr. Blue Sky opening credits from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And her number one is the Come a Little Bit Closer montage from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. She really liked Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm picking up on that. Lauren, what are your five favorite scenes? Uh, my number five is the use of the immigrant song in um, the final fight sequence in Thor when Loki shows yes. up and everybody's fighting. It's just really awesome. Like It's one of those times where I'm like, oh, this is why I enjoy action movies sometimes because it's it's these people just going to town and it's, it's very well cut and everything is integrated really nicely. I just love that scene. Um, my number four is James Franco's performance of Weezo's I Did Not Hit Her. <laughs> that whole... And it's one, of the, it's one of those clips that has been replayed so many times now I feel like it's almost getting cliched again. But it's so funny. And every... The entire cast and, and crew sitting there being like, I did not hit her. It's bullshit. I did not. <laughs> and he can't get it. And, it, and you almost feel for him of like this poor guy can't remember his own lines the lines that I, he I love I love when he comes out and he he's so happy he finally got it he's like I hit her and they're like no <laughs> my number three is the charge of the Amazons in Wonder Woman when that whole when the the um you know Steve is dropped, is washed up on the beach and then the Germans show up and the Amazons are just like we get to fight and it's so cool like, I, I love the No Man's Land scene and also, but that that one is just, like, all of these badass women beating the shit out of these guys. And it's it's so awesome. I love it. Um, my number two is Marion's drive back to the airport in Lady Bird mm-hmm. uh, after she has left. And just that, that, and that really is a testament to Laurie Metcalf's performance. The, the emotions that play across her face, you watch her break down. And all of the things that she hasn't said to her daughter and all of the things that she has said and maybe she regrets. That was the point in the film where I began crying. Uh, and and then, of course, the, the ending with it that she's she's gone. It's just so well done. And it's um, it's not completely one take, but I think that the, the initial driving sequence is. It's just really beautifully shot. Uh, and then my number one is the No Man's Land scene in Wonder Woman because it's such an inspiring scene and you so seldom get that with female characters and to actually see that and see it filtered through the female gaze and see this brilliant hero rising up and for it to be Gal Gadot. So I'll, I'll throw out my five. My number five is the only part of SpermCon I liked. It's the moment Oscar Isaac shows up in it. Um, <laughs> I have to throw it out here because it's the part that I was waiting for all year to see and it's obvious like he watched Double Indemnity and is trying to channel his friend McMurray and it's adorable. He's got like a, the fedora and like the, the lackadaisical attitude and he's kind of a dick and he gets to be funny and pretentious and he's just like running circles around these idiots and it's only through like being outright poisoned that he's like shut down. Because these idiots, again, the two characters who are at the center of this movie are morons, would not be able to do it anyway, anywhere else. So it just it just makes me want to see Oscar Isaac do another noirish film, like now, where he's the lead and not stupid shit like this. My number four is the Peach scene from Call Me by Your Name, <laughs> because its infamy preceded it. We like if you had read the book, I read the book at the beginning of this year, and I knew I was like, holy crap. 
how are we going to pull this off? Because it's, like, insane. And I think the movie does it very well. I knew certain things were not going to happen in it because it's Hollywood and we are of country of prudes. So I knew certain things were going to happen uh, verbatim, but it's it's weirdly sexy, it's bizarre, it's funny, and I think it's just it's not the movie that sell it's not the moment that sells Call Me by Your Name, but if you're already invested in it, it's just like one extra thing you can love about it. <laughs> So my number three is the end credits of I, Tonya. If anybody remembers the end credits, it's um, actually showing real footage of the real players. And I love how it's it's um, played by, uh, over Susie and the Banshees, The Passenger, which I think says a lot about the film. And you just get to see the real Tonya Harding and how happy she was and how good she was. Um, and also how eerily accurate everybody is. So I that's one of my favorite moments. My number two is the airport scene from Lady Bird um, that Lauren brought up. It, and, and for me, it's not just watching Laurie Metcalf's face change as she's driving around the Sacramento airport, which I know that ride very well. It's the fact that, that Greta Gerwig said that you see so many mo- romantic movies about a, a man running through the airport to get to the woman he loves. And she wanted to do that with a mother and a daughter. And I think it's just, it's great to see that the character is willing, she says she won't leave the car because it's too expensive to park. But she has no compunction at the end of getting out of the car and leaving it there to probably be towed. And it's just, it's painful to know that she she missed, she missed her. And I think that that's a beautifully, beautifully set up scene. Um, my number one is actually the complete opposite of all of the other scenes that I've thrown out there. It's the opening of It. Ooh. Yeah, it's when little Georgie meets Pennywise. Because I had not seen any of the marketing for the- uh, I had seen the trailers, but I did not see the extended trailer which essentially shows this opening scene. So, you're watching this little boy in a rain slicker have this completely normal conversation with a clown in the sewer for far too long. And when it when it actually culminates with a small child losing an arm, I remember being in the theater like, holy shit! <laughs> we've just taken a turn! And it's it's terrifying. It, it pretty much plays on the fact that all bets are off. You know, this is not the 80s version. This is something different. Um, and I, I think it's it set me up for a movie that I had a lot of fun with. So those are my favorites. Karen, what are your five? All right. So my number five, I'm, I love the scene and there's really no other place for me to call out this movie and the fact that I really enjoyed it. Uh, in the movie American Made, starring Tom Cruise. I was waiting. I was waiting. <laughs> I love, there's a scene where he has to crash his plane in a neighborhood. The plane is full of coke. He has to crash land and then he's trying to run away. It just sounds like something Tom Cruise does on a Sunday. (laughs) He's being chased by the DEA. And so he crashes the plane and he has to like run away before they can catch up to him. And so he like buys a bike from these little kids that just happen or not little kids but these kids that happen to be standing there and he hops on the bike and he's riding away and there's there's coke everywhere the bags have exploded and you can tell that he's like getting high because he's like wobbling and stuff as he's like trying to ride away it's hilarious i love it my number four is the scene in spider-man homecoming when they're in the car on the way to the dance 
And I love the scene, the way it plays out between Michael Keaton and Tom Holland. And there's so much tension. And the, um, what's her name? The girlfriend, the, the girl is there. I can't think of who it is. Oh my gosh. But she's right there. So they can't say what they want to say. But there's just, oh, it's so well done. I love it. Um, number three is the No Man's Land scene from Wonder Woman. I think enough has been said about that. It's beautiful and brilliant, and I love it. My number two is from Darkest Hour, and I really struggled with which scene I loved the most. And I ultimately went with the one that had the biggest impact on me. And that's a scene where Winston Churchill is completely desperate for help. He's got all these people that are just, they're basically conspiring to get him out of office that he's been in for like a week and a half. And he is desperate and he reaches out to FDR for help. And just listening to the conversation that they have, it's heartbreaking. And Gary Oldman did such an amazing job. As you can see, him just become utterly deflated as he realizes the Americans, their last chance, are not going to come and help them. And it's just so amazingly done. And then my number one scene is the airport scene from Lady Bird. It just, yeah, it, it, it moved me in a way that like no other scene really has this year in a film because it felt so real and so personal to me. And I have nothing more to add than what you guys have already said on it, but it's, it's such a, a beautiful scene. And it's one of those moments where so much is said without words. And Laurie Metcalf is just incredible. And so there you go. Okay, so we're going to transition over to best female performance. I'll throw out mine quickly. Um, my number five is Rebecca Hall for Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. This is a character whose first line involves the word cocksucker. And I think <laughs> from there, you know everything you need to know about this character that she is a, a woman who is married a man who understands what she wants uh, as an equal, as an academic, and it's the society around her that she can't stand stifling her. I, I, Rebecca Hall does so much great work, and I don't know why we insist on, on continuing to sleep on her, because she She's is doing- amazing. She is so amazing. I do not know why she is not like Meryl Streep right now or Jessica Chastain. Speaking of, my number four is Jessica Chastain from Molly's Game. I love her in spite of the film. I think she's great at playing this dominant woman who's transitioned from this small town girl to this arrogant leader of these poker degenerates. Um, she's just, she's great. Number three is Gal Gadot from Wonder Woman. Luminous is the term that I give her because her optimism is just so enticing. And you you want to watch her smile all day. It's just amazing. My number two is Sally Hawkins from The Shape of Water. I love what her and Guillermo del Toro do with a character that we've seen the mute character before in movies, but what makes Sally Hawkins great is how modern it feels. It feels like somebody actually presented a modern interpretation of a disabled character. So she's able to live on her own. She's resourceful. I mean, part of the fun is that she single-handedly creates this breakout for the creature. And people assume it's like a group of 10, like, ex-special ops or something. It's just her. And she does it because it's the right thing to do. And my number one is Shersha Ronan for Lady Bird. 
she's she's all of us really and i think that that's it's a character that we all can identify with and shares your own and sells it so um those are my five kimberly's five favorite female performances her number five is carrie fisher from star wars the last jedi number four Gemma archerton from their finest which was almost on my list three sally hawkins for shape of water Two, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, And number one, Shersha Ronan for Lady Bird. Uh, Karen, who are your five? My number five is Emma Stone from Battle of the Sexes. I don't know why she hasn't gotten more attention for that film. It, she's... I think it just came out too early and it didn't last long. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and I've been saying that for a while. I think it either came out four weeks too late or four weeks too early. It just came at exactly the wrong time. Which is too bad, but... But yeah, I think Emma's performance was fantastic. I think she was great. My number four is Gal Gadot from Wonder Woman. She is beautiful, but she's also just... She just really encapsulates what Wonder Woman is supposed to stand for. And I, I know I mentioned that before when we were talking about Wonder Woman. But she did a great job. Great performance all around. Loved it. She's she's great in the dramatic scenes and the romantic scenes and also the action sequences. So... My number three is Margot Robbie for I, Tanya. Um, she, the fact that she learned to skate, <laughs> like her commitment to the role is great, but she also just did such a good job. And one of the things that I thought was so brilliant about her performance is the fact that she gives a, a, a new way of looking at Tanya Harding and really brings some humanity to this person that has been unfairly vilified for mm -hmm. years, so... Um, my number two is Sally Hawkins. Beautiful, beautiful performance. Just just stunning. And my number one is also Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird. Okay. Yeah, she's oh, great. No, she's great. That's all. Oh, uh, Lauren, what about you? My number five, I'm going to be echoing a lot of things. So my number five is Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman. Uh, just one more thing that I want to mention is I like the fact that she managed to make uh, Wonder Woman feel innocent but not naive. And yes. that, yes. that's a hard needle to thread in terms of script, but also in terms of just her performance. You never feel like she is stupid or um, needs to be protected or is just like, you know, it's kind of flighty or anything like that. It's like, no, she's she's a, a woman who's grown up on an island full of other women and she doesn't know a great deal about the modern world. But she's also very present and, and learns very quickly. And yeah, I, I think her performance was just wonderful. My number four is Sasha Ronan for Lady Bird. Uh, I think that we're all kind of in agreement on her. Uh, number three, Sally Hawkins for Shape of Water. Again, a, a, a performance without you know, the, without the quote benefit of being able to verbalize anything. And like Doug Jones, she does everything with her body and with her face, and it's it's mesmerizing and sad and um, and wonderful and very uplifting. Number two for me is Frances McDermott in Three Billboards, and I completely understand why there are so many problems with that film, but her performance is spectacular. And the 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 heartbreak that she that the character is going through and the rage that is underlying that is I think very poignant, particularly for this period of time, and is also very destructive because she doesn't have an outlet for it. Uh, and the only way that she can get out that rage and that grief is through, through increasingly bad decisions that <laughs> that finally culminate in you know what could be described as some of the worst as the worst decisions she's ever made. 
but you understand it and you understand why she is so angry and that that anger is very real uh and my number one is is margot robbie and i tanya again not a, a person i don't did not know that much about tanya harding i was one of those people who thought that yes she actually did break nancy kerrigan's leg so but see seeing her on screen and seeing you know not the way that that Roby allows Tanya Harding to kind of justify herself, but also, you know, questions some of some of the decisions that she made, questions some of the lies that she tells, whether or not they're lies, but then also manages to, to maintain her as a very sympathetic character. I've, I've I said after I saw Tanya that it's it's been a banner year for women finally getting out from under mediocre white men. And I feel like that that's sort of being represented in characters like the like Frances McDermott and and Margot Robbie that this this anger uh, that's just erupting at how much men, particular kinds of men, can fuck up your life. And and I think that Robbie just just gives a brilliant performance. Okay, so Karen, I did yours right. I'm gonna keep asking because I keep forgetting. Yep. Okay, yep. so our it's last okay. category of the year is our best of the year. This is actually a 10 list. We've talked, I think, pretty much we can all say we've talked en masse about our, our the movies that we already love, so you should know what it's probably going to make our individual list. Uh, Kimberly's 10 best of the year. At 10, she has Wonder Woman. 9, she has Dunkirk. 8, she has Darkest Hour. 7, Their Finest. 6, Shape of Water. 5, The Post. Four, I, Tonya. Three, The Disaster Artist. Two, Lady Bird. And one, Call Me By Your Name. Karen, what are your ten best of the year? Okay, I would like to preface this by saying there are still yes, a couple yes. of films I have not seen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this may actually be slightly different in a couple of weeks when I've had the chance to catch up on some things. But as of today, my number ten is I, Tonya. And I'm going to do this without commentary because I've talked about every one of these movies at some point, I think. So, um, My number nine is Hostiles. Number eight, Wonder Woman. Number seven, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Number six, Mudbound. Number five, Dunkirk. Number four, Darkest Hour. Number three, Lady Bird. Number two, The Disaster Artist. And number one, The Shape of Water. Ooh, interesting. Lauren, what are your ten? My, my 10 is The Beguiled, uh, 9, Their Finest, 8, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, 7, Mudbound, 6, Wonder Woman, 5, Get Out, 4, The Disaster Artist, 3, I, Tanya, 2, The Shape of Water, and 1, Lady Bird. So again, mine are pretty much uh, a lot of stuff I've already talked about. 10 is Their Finest, 9, The Beguiled. Eight, I put Ingrid Goes West. I wanted to put Ingrid Goes West on a lot of other categories, but it was always right outside. Um, this is the Aubrey Plaza, Elizabeth Olsen tw- uh, Twitter stalking movie. And I think, it's, I think it's funny. I think it's relevant to our age of social media and how social media can make us grossly depressed and unhappy. And the leads are just fantastic. Um, this is one of several of my favorite Elizabeth Olsen movies. So... Seven is Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Six is Logan. Five is I, Tanya. Four is Wonder Woman. Three is Get Out. 
two is Call Me By Your Name, and one is Lady Bird. Terrence was very surprised when I told him that Call Me By Your Name was not my favorite movie of the year. It's Lady Bird. I'm not that surprised. <laughs> Call Me By Your Name wasn't filmed it, in it, That's true. Uh, although, I, as I keep saying, <laughs> there's Lady Bird, Call Me By Your Name, A Trench, and then every other movie that came out this year. So it was a high bar to cross. So yeah, that's going to close out 2017 for us until we catch up on the last of it that comes out in January you can always send us your uh, best of the year or tell us we were wrong on other categories share whatever you want to you can contact us through Twitter at Citizen Dame um, is it Citizen Dame or Citizen, Citizen Dame, Dame Pod. Pod thank you so much someone else took Citizen Dame and is that on it. son of a bitch <laughs> um, you can also find us on our Facebook page which is where Karen facebook.com slash citizen dame if you want to listen to the episode you can do that via citizendame.podbean.com stitcher radio or on itunes we would love to get uh, an actual rating on itunes we don't have enough right now so if you could leave us a rating that'd be great if you want to leave us a review that's even better but we really would prefer the rating right now as always, you can also contact us via our individual Twitters. You can find Kimberly at kpierce624. You can find me at journeys underscore film. Karen, where are you on Twitter? At Karen M. Peterson. And Lauren? At LH Business. And because we have a little bit of time, what is everybody watching uh, on Christmas? Like over the Christmas break or on Christmas sure. Day? Sure. Yeah, anything, anything over the next uh I know I know I will probably finally watch The Grinch and Charlie Brown. I'm showing my brother we usually watch something terrible on Christmas. So last year we watched the remake of Black Christmas, which was <laughs> incomprehensible. This year I'm gonna show him the Jim Carrey Grinch. I enjoy that movie. So, yeah. <laughs> oh no it's not I in my top 10 oh. of favorite christmas movies not even close <sighs> but i enjoy it i don't hate it <laughs> gross uh, karen what are you watching that's hopefully better well my favorite christmas movies are elf and it's a wonderful life and yes, yes. i will be watching both of them my mom and i actually have a tradition on christmas eve that we wrap the last of our presents while we're watching It's a Wonderful Life, and I love it. Um, I'm also going to catch up on the post, and I'll probably force yeah. myself to sit through The Greatest Showman. <laughs> I will probably... Oh, it's good! It's fine! Okay, okay? it's All questionable, right. I'm but... I'm counting on that because I need it to be, so... Uh, I, will, I will probably also watch The Post, um, and I, I think... I usually try to go see a movie Christmas Day, um, and I think I might go see All the Money in the World. Because I didn't get to go to the press screening for it. So, uh, Lauren, what are you watching over the holiday weekend? Uh, well, probably in my household, we usually watch The, the Grinch, the, the original cartoon. Which is far Carl superior, Lockner. yes. 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 <laughs> that is the only version of The Grinch. We usually watch that and very often watch uh, White Christmas, which is my favorite Christmas movie, personally. That's another good and one. And... Um, and also we have developed a Christmas tradition since I was in college of watching a bunch of Poirot films <laughs> nice. as, as part of our Christmas viewing. And this was, a re this was a result of my parents coming to visit me and that being the only thing that was on television of the four stations that we got. Um, <laughs> and you're also going to see Star Wars. Yes. And finally. we're also planning on going to see The Last Jedi finally. I've waited until I got home. So that I could force my parents to go with me because we actually saw The Force Awakens, I believe, around Christmas uh, when that came out a couple years ago. So now we get to watch The Last Jedi. And if it's not as good as everyone says that it is, 
then I'm just going to kill you all. So <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to close out Citizen Dame for the year. We will be back um, probably around New Year's um, to list our most anticipated of 2018. So if you have uh, films that you are excited for next year, uh, please send them out and we will read them on the next episode and then regularly schedule episodes uh, talking about news and all that. Hopefully less Garbage Men in 2018 will start back up uh, around the first week of January. So uh, the Citizen Dames would like to wish you a Merry Christmas uh, or whatever you choose to celebrate or not. And we'll talk to you all in 2018. Bye. Bye. Well, you look at this. Look. Some of the best minds in the country peeing all over the floor in this here facility. Mm, mm, mm. There's pee freckles on the ceiling now. How'd they get it up there? Just how big a target do they need, you figure? And get enough practice, that's for sure. My Brewster, no one's ever called him a great mind, but even he manages to hit the can 7% of the time. <laughs> Excuse us, sir. No, no, no. That's all right. Go ahead. You ladies seem to be chatting enjoyably. Girl talk, no doubt. Don't mind me.